You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Episode 15 of Not Another Leafs Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Ken Stapon joined by Brendan McCarthy. BMAC. What's up, brother? I gotta I gotta quit the Uber Eats orders, man. I did the, <laughs> I did the old uh, oh. microwavable dish today. It's just one of those Sunday nights, you know, it's cold, but you know, it, it warms the stomach, so that's good. Yeah, the microwave meal ain't the worst thing every once in a while. You gotta mix it in every once in a while, but try not to make it a regular thing. Or you no, especially the hungry man. Regular yourself. Oh, yeah. the hungry man's are good every once in a while, but I just feel so like such a scumbag every time I eat it. I'm like, you are so lazy. Yeah. It's brutal. Yeah. It's, uh, it's hit or miss. And then there's, you know, there's times where you, you don't heat it up enough and you get that frozen piece. It's like, ah, should have just ordered ah. the frozen potatoes but, uh, are the worst. All right. So I just want to touch on something. We're going to have to have uh, Nick floor of the stick hungry podcast. Join us a little bit to give us uh, some more insight on, the signing of Jumbo Joe, what he meant to the San Jose Sharks franchise and what he's going to bring to the Toronto Maple Leafs. But before we get into the important hockey talk, be back. I was in a controversial situation this week, trying to buy a new Bluetooth speaker. I had a Bose Bluetooth speaker for the last, I don't know, probably about four or five years. It served me really well, but eventually the charging port just kicked out on it. So I've been sitting on buying a new one. And when considering brands, you suggested that I should buy a JBL. Yes. And I got in touch via Twitter and I connected you to the JBL account and they replied dutifully. Well, there's only one problem with me buying a JBL speaker. <laughs> and this might sound so stupid to the listeners. I tweeted about it. Everybody was, I feel like people just thought I was a weirdo, <laughs> but I've never considered oh. buying the brand's JBL because I used to hate the wrestler that's nickname was JBL. His name was John Bradshaw Layfield. And he was such a jabroni that it just turned me off the brand, like for good. I was like, I, I can't, I can't even deal with this. I was just thinking about that guy wearing his cowboy hat, driving the limousine with the horns on the front down the alley and taking cheap shots on my favorite guy when he wasn't even wrestling with the steel chair. It was just like, it was too much for me. And I just have not even considered buying a JBL speaker for that reason. Well, look at problem solved. All you got to do is throw on some Cypress Hill and the JBL flashbacks to the wrestler i don't i'm not even really well like uh acquainted with this dude. not acquainted I, I don't even know who this guy is really man i didn't really watch it growing up i watched a bit of wwe and a bit of raw but you know it i don't think it would phase me just because it's some like acronym for a nickname well but, based off your recommendation and then also <laughs> it just so happens that 
the salesperson at like the little tiny tech store i just go to like a, it's called tech city it's like yeah. um privately owns like not like the best buy just a small little mom and pop shop I went in there with the full intention of buying like a Sonos or a Bose or whatever, and just dropping some like nice cheddar on it. And he actually convinced me as well that I was going to be overspending for what I was actually looking for and what I would probably need out of the product. And he turned me towards a JBL product as well. So now I'm the proud owner of a JBL. This pump called. under the table right there. The How much did you spend on it? Boom. Mini, mini boom five or something like that. I forget boom the name five. of it, but yeah, it was like, I don't know. It was like a, I think it was like 160 bucks, 170 bucks. Yeah, but yeah. The sound good. sound quality is good. I'm very happy with it. It's uh, I'll be happy to respond to JBL on Twitter and let them know that it won't be necessary for me to slide into the DMs. And <laughs> like now I can uh, put that put that part of me in the past where I was holding on to the animosity against the brand, and uh, we can move forward with our relationship. Uh, of missing that out. My primary Bluetooth speaker for the next hopefully three to five years. Buddy, if you want longevity and, you know, we always talk long-term contracts, I would have locked down a contract big time with the JBL. I think you made a complete mistake to to invest in the other one, in the in the mini Bose. But hey, in that's the just Bose? me. In the Bose. Hey, man, we're a Bose house in this family. You know, let's ask Nick Floor and get to that interview, what he thinks about JBL. And if he was a wrestling fan, here's the interview. Happy to be joined here now by Nick Floor, co-host of the Stick Hungry podcast, our podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network for the San Jose Sharks to talk some Jumbo Joe. How you doing, Nick? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing today? Another day in paradise. Uh, not for BMAC, though. The Houston Texans uh, with a little bit of a rough showing earlier. So not too happy about that <laughs> one, are you, buddy? A little sour, a little sour. I think that's I think that's it. I mean, one in six, you can't really, you can't really recover from that. But yeah. Uh, Nick is a Nick is a diehard. Yeah, that's that's brutal. That's brutal. I mean, it kind of we kind of lost it as soon as we got rid of Hopkins. So yeah, Yeah, Bill O'Brien drove that franchise into the ground. Nick, before we get into the heavy stuff here, uh, heavy stuff per se. uh, Are were you ever a wrestling fan at all? Yeah, back in the early two thousands. Perfect. So. I went with my brother too. There's an Arco Arena out here in Sacramento. We actually got like autographed pictures with the Hardy brothers back in the day. Oh, dope. So yeah, that's, that's old school. Are you familiar with the wrestler John Bradshaw Layfield? <laughs> yes. AKA JBL. JBL. J-B-L. <laughs> what, did you like JBL or were you just one of the guys who just hated him? I remember back when I was a kid, it was when I was a kid. When I was a kid, he was like the, the guy to be hated because he always had the cowboy hat and the, the towel around his neck. So oh my God, just, I hated him. Yeah, he was to be hated when I was a kid. So I just went along with the trends. Like The Rock hated all the guys who were supposed to be hated. So Yeah, for sure. Like I, I despised him. And I have actually avoided, well, I was in the market for a Bluetooth speaker. And I've actually avoided buying the brand's JBL because I hate <laughs> the wrestler. I know that might sound stupid. I don't get that, no man. Like, it's I'm a phenomenal speaker. It's yeah, phenomenal well, I, quality. I, hey, I bought a JBL speaker. I got over my predisposition. And I'm very happy with the product. So I can uh, reply to... <laughs> jbl who now got after me on twitter trying to get me to slide into their dms to buy their product and uh <laughs> tell them that that won't be necessary this time around and uh we'll only slide in a little bit later if i need to upgrade the whole home speaker system and not just a bluetooth nick 
you've been had to have had the privilege of watching Joe Thornton play for the San Jose Sharks for, I don't know how long it's been for 13 or 14 seasons. It yeah. seems like as one of the most dominant players in the game, obviously was the captain of the franchise for a long time. Mm. It must hurt a lot for you guys to see this guy go, but at the same time, understanding that there might just not have been a fit necessarily there for the organization or what the expectations were going to be moving forward in the direction of where the organization's going. Yeah. For us, uh, for us Sharks fans, it's, it's a bit of a bittersweet because you want to see Jumbo win the cup, but you know, he's not going to do it here in San Jose based on the direction that we're heading. And it was clear just from a management standpoint that this was them finally turning the page. Like, yes. They brought back Patrick Marlowe. This is one of those situations where you have to finally get, you know, just kick that X to the side essentially. And that's what Joe Thornton has kind of been for us. We've brought him back on multiple different two, three, and even one year deals. And we just couldn't get it done with them. You know, but whether it was 2016 or 2018, when we went on a couple of deep runs in the playoffs, um, I, I just wanted to see him go to a cup contender essentially. And uh, looking at a couple of moves that the Maple Leafs made this off season, it's, it's nice to see that them get a little bit grittier from what I've seen with the addition of Wayne Simmons. And I feel like Jumbo is going to bring a lot to your guys' team personally. The Sharks really bolstered their goalie tandem with adding Devin Dubnik. Dooby dooby doo. Yeah, Devin isn't guy. the word that I would use, but uh... well, Dubnik and Jones on paper looks good, but I mean, yeah, if you discount all of last year's stats, they look great. Right, and obviously the Leafs picking up their <laughs> third stringer and Aaron Dell. Do you think he still has much much life left if he does have to fill in um, on a on a bleak a bleak uh, winter night, whether we in Toronto? Yeah, I think he doesn't have much left. No, I think he has uh, plenty of potential left. He's a bit on the older side. I think he's on the wrong side of thirty, but uh, he just was stranded, much like Jones was in the the DeBoer system, where uh, your goalies essentially have to be top five or else you just lose games. So I feel like in the right system, after Bugner took over and Nabokov became like the goaltending coach for the Sharks, when Johan Hedberg left, I mean, you saw Aaron Dell's minutes go up along with his play. Like he had a phenomenal back half of the season. So I feel like he's going to be great for the Marlies because I, I believe he's starting in the AHL. He's got a two-way contract or is it just a one-way? I'm not sure. I believe it's a two. But um, I feel like he's going to be great for the Marlies. He's going to easily come up and earn backup time and relief time behind Anderson. I feel like he can easily just jump in. If Anderson's getting a little bit worn out, you throw him in there for a game and a favorable matchup, and he gives the much-needed rest. I don't see him getting – in a regular 82-game season, I don't see him getting any more than 20 games. But a serviceable backup for 800000 is not bad. Before we move completely off of the Joe Thornton conversation, because I feel like he's just been such a transcendental player for this franchise. Yeah. Uh, where does he rank as far as the best players in San Jose Sharks history? Because I feel like he has to be right up at the top of the list. Patrick Marlowe, another player that's just made his return to San Jose, has to be up there. You guys have obviously had some historically great players. Owen Nolan was another player who mm -hmm. actually played for both franchises, coming to play out the final years of his career in Toronto. Where does Jumbo rank for you? as far as the all-time Sharks players ever? I feel like Jumbo's stats are uh, a little bit skewed in a sense where he had the double knee surgeries over the last couple of years where you see more statistical prowess with uh, like Patrick Marlowe as far as like games played and goals. I feel like Jumbo is probably number one, consensus number one overall, if not a 1A, 1B with Patrick Marlowe. Um, he's just shown throughout just his career you know, when he, after he got traded from Boston, just how great of a player he is, 
how wonderful of a person he is in the locker room. Um, example, just the game seven against Vegas, right? We all know like the historic comeback where Couture had two goals. Jumbo was the one that sparked the team. And I'm going to kind of bleep myself out here for a second, but after Pavelski went down and he helped cart him off the ice or, or take him off the ice with Kane, he told the guys on the first power play unit, you go out there and you get three effing goals right now. So he's got that voice and that prowess in the locker room that you're going to see instantly with the young guys, exactly like you guys saw with Marlowe. So uh, Jumbo himself, in my opinion, he was the first jersey I got. He's probably going to go down as the best Sharks player in history. And when him and Marlowe both retire, their names are going to get – or their numbers are going to get hung in the rafters side by side at the exact same time. No doubt. Yeah, I think obviously with Marlowe in the equation a couple years ago, you know, that there was that instant – chemistry off the ice between him Matthews and Marner but Mm -hmm. as you said you know I think Joe kind of brings that obviously that that leadership and that mentorship with the young guys but maybe more of like a kick in the ass if you will especially to the younger guys you know we get ripped on a lot because you know there's four guys making a mammoth ton per year and you know they can be considered spoiled they can be considered bratty for not showing up when it counts so do you think it's it's a good fit almost for the younger guys to to improve and kind of light a fire under their A? I won't say yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep it PG on under this. Under their huh? rear. Yeah. In the, uh, in the, the Right on the wallet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what you guys saw with Marlo off the ice is what you're going to get with Jumbo on the ice. You're not going to hear a whole lot about Jumbo doing things with the boys because he mainly signed with Toronto, in my opinion, because it's family. His family's in the area. You guys, his, his kids get to see his parents more often, but you're going to see that impact on the ice and on the bench. He's going to be, in my opinion, he'll probably be quarterbacking your second power play. If I'm being completely honest, he'll sit on I the left that. side and he will just pass that thing around ways that you've never seen before. You're going to, Holy shit. How did he thread that needle? Like, it's insane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you're going to see that, that effect that jumbo has on the players they're going to get a little bit more serious this year. I think your top guys, uh, what do you have? Like what well, you said, four forwards are going to be making close to like $40 million this year. Yeah, I, say, I expect those guys <laughs> to all take that next step in intensity because I don't think that Jumbo is going to allow them to just be lackadaisical on those off nights and kind of hum and hoe around and feel Hold sorry them accountable. Yeah, exactly. Someone needs to start holding them accountable. And I feel like Jumbo is the type of player to come in and just be like, look, get the hell out there, do what you're supposed to do. Like this, we're winning. We're going to win this year. I, I don't care what you say about it. We are going to win. Right. So he's going to have that edge. You said something interesting earlier, Nick, that I want to touch on, uh, suggesting that the organization is moving on right now from Jumbo because they don't necessarily think they have the opportunity to win perhaps in the short term. I found that surprising based off the fact that coming into this season, San Jose was touted to be one of the better teams in the Western conference. And then obviously everything went completely off the rails. It seems like they were dealing with injuries. They've got some aging defensemen on large contracts who weren't playing up to perhaps what we expected their maximum potential to be. Where is this team at as far as getting back into that competition level? And how do they do that within when they're getting rid of guys who have that sort of leadership identity and Joe Pavelski, he was a guy that drags people into the fight. Joe Thornton was a guy who drags people into the fight. Where do they find that as an organization now? Because they seemed a little bit uh, listless this year, we'll say. Yeah. In an interview, Martin Jones essentially said that when, when stuff went awry, everyone went their own way. 
And the main reason was we didn't have our, our big voice. We didn't have our captain in there this year. Like you previously had said, Pavelski had gone and signed with Dallas with that big 7 million, uh, I think it was three years, 7 million year deal. So when you lose a player like Pavelski and uh, uh, other notable players to free agency or through trade with Brendan Dillon and Justin Braun, you lose a lot of like head like, force, essentially a lot of captaincy and a lot of voices in that locker room. So Moving forward, I feel like it's time for the younger guys for San Jose to step up. You know, no one's predicting them to do anything amazing this year. Like you said prior, we have way too many older guys on the defensive end that have, as you said earlier, mammoth contracts. We gave 11 and a half mil to Carlson, and he can't seem to stay healthy. Uh, Hurdles had reconstructive surgery. Brent Burns is 35, you know, still playing at an elite level, averaging just under a point per game. And Vlasic, $7 million, $7 million a year. I think he signed until 2024, 2025. I can't, I'm not exact with that number. I feel like moving forward, though, it's on San Jose and on the younger guys, well, younger per se, to take that step forward as far as leadership goes and establish themselves as the core that they are meant to be. Hurdle, Meyer, Kane, Couture. These are the guys that have to start stepping it up because they don't have the voices of Jumbo and the voices of Pavelski in that locker room to steer them in the correct direction. So, you know, myself and some others also believe that this is San Jose's transitional year. You know, they're going to use this flat cap with COVID and everything that's going on. They're going to use this as just a little bit of a transition, get away from a couple of uh, habits that they had established over the last year of just everyone doing their own thing and work towards actually being a team finally. So Joe had 31 points last year that he once had 114 mm-hmm. and won the art Ross and the Hart in one year, which is crazy. Yeah. So After over under, I don't know if you're a betting guy, Nick, I, over under 35 points for Joe in the blue oh, and white next year. I was literally just going to say, I have him at 35 points <laughs> right, right um, on the money. eh? Yeah. Uh, Hold him to the fire. <laughs> yeah. Cheese. Um, he averaged, I think 15 minutes of time on ice last year with us. That's including power play time. With your guys' star-studded offense, I'm going to hit the over on this. And you can record it. You can you can do whatever oh, don't you want. Worry, we it. are. <laughs> yeah, you can record it, you know, you know, stamp it, whatever you want to do. I, I would peg him on the over if I'm being completely honest because he's just going to get so many assists on that power play. Like, I, I don't I – don't, I can't even – how do I put this into words? Like, I can't, like, put so much focus on this myself because he is just going to be a monster for you guys on that third line. I think he's going to have Simmons on that line based on your guys' projected depth charts. But uh, on that third line, he's just going to be in the right spot at the right time, every time, just making some crisp passes tape to tape, just setting your top scorers up. You could see career goals for some of your guys' players moving into this season, specifically on the power play because of Joe Thornton. Nick, we'll get you out of here on a light note. We know that Brendan McCarthy's Texans didn't have a good start to the day for me. I'm a Pats guy. I grew up in New England. They are getting absolutely dummied by the 49ers. (laughs) Looks like they're going to drop to two and four if they can't figure it out in the second half. Do you have a football team and how or who is your football team and how are they doing today? Well, it's funny you say that because I myself am a San Francisco 49ers fan being out here. in the. I'm not in the Bay Area per se, but. Being out here in Northern California, you, you default to San Francisco or Oakland or now the Las Vegas Raiders. But, uh, yeah, I've been a diehard 49ers fan since I was about seven years old. Fair. I got to wear a Super Bowl ring with George Bisker 
So like it was wow. right there, instantly hooked. Like I love this team, much like I love the Sharks. So uh, sorry for the uh, the butt whooping you guys are getting, but uh, whoo, thirty to yeah. six, holy Toledo. Yeah, it's not holy it's not holy. it's not looking too good for New England right now. But it is what it is. We had a number of years on top, and uh, it's all right to take a down year every once in a while, as long as it's not multiple franchises. I need the Maple Leafs to be competitive if I'm because that's the one that's going to affect my overall happiness the most trying to mm-hmm. talk about it on TSN 1050 and talk about it with this gentleman over here on the left side of my screen. But uh, it is what it is. You uh, take the red good with the bad and with new England, there haven't been too many down here. So yeah, 19 years straight of just being dominant. I guess I would take that per se. Yeah, it's not a bad situation. Hey, Nick, listen, th- I re- really appreciate you taking the time to join us today and give us some insight. Uh, good luck for the upcoming season. What, and to, if you'd like, give us a quick preview of what you guys have cooking on the stick hungry podcast coming up. Uh, we are going to be recording. We had a bit of a controversial uh, infographic sent out on Twitter for this week's episode. We talked about the worst free agent signing in Sharks history, and uh, it got a lot of traction over there on Twitter. If you guys want to take a listen, it's uh, at Stick Hungry Pod on Twitter, or you can follow myself at Nick Floor underscore. Beautiful. Thanks for doing this, man. Anytime, guys. I appreciate yeah, it. Appreciate it. Take care. No doubt that Joe Thornton is going to fit in for this team the way that Nick was suggesting as a mentor, both on and off the ice. One part that I thought that I guess I hadn't considered is that his leadership will be more prominent on the ice than it is off the ice because he's a really loud guy. And you remember at times this year, Ray Ferraro had cited that the late Maple Leafs just had the quietest bench in the league. Like they'd be down two in the third period and he would be between the benches doing the broadcast for TSN. And he'd be saying, you know, I can't hear a peep out of these guys. There's no chatter. There's no energy. And he said it was just so peculiar for him to watch. I feel like with Joe there, he's not going to accept that sort of stuff. And he's going to elevate the energy on the bench and hold people accountable, which certainly will be something or has been a topic of discussion surrounding this Maple Leafs team, even when Mike Babcock was here, was that it, ultimately it's up to the players to elevate their level of play and to perform at a high level and the, or the level that they're capable of. And they haven't been able to do that consistently. Hopefully Thornton is a guy who can sort of push the envelope a little bit and get the juices flowing so that they're able to come to perform at that level and have the internal accountability to perform at that level on a consistent basis. I think Thornton, will almost serve as like a player coach. I mean, how many times last year did you see, you know, Certainly a guy, guy get rammed? A yeah. He, honestly, he could just, he could just replace like Hackstall or, or yeah, McLean, just, like yeah, every he, other night or something. Could just uh, jump, jump back there. Yeah. No problem. Uh, who Suit was up. Other, yeah. Who was the other guy? Mal Holtra. They just signed. Right. Manny, Manny Mal Holtra. Yeah. They could Manny. just uh, alternate. We could use Mal Holtra to, in the defensive zone draws. And then uh, on, on the <laughs> yeah, one night with two minutes to go down one. Yeah. Just bring him back for a, a celeb game, you know, but I think, you know, he, he's obviously we use accountable a lot in this league, but it, that's really going to signify what Joe's role will be. And, you know, as I was saying or alluding to before, you know, how many times last year did a, a guy like Barry or, or somebody just get run over and there was no reaction and I'm not asking to, to drop the mitts, but no, you know, physical reaction. No, who was you know, it? Was it no Jeff John? Petrie? I think it was, I think it I was, think it was Barry. Petri, I think it was Petrie just demoed Barry. Barry. At the blue line. And then Matthew just, just had the flyby. 
yeah everybody was circling and petri was ready for the response and that just never came right and sorry but that current leafs lineup who's gonna who's gonna say something to matthews on the bench or in the locker room other than the coach i don't see anybody yeah who's gonna who's gonna can you're right Thornton can do that absolutely like second admission like austin what are you doing there like maybe like you would hope you would hope though that tavares job guy who could you think accountability in the locker room he has the c on the jersey he seems like a quieter guy with the media but you would hope that he sort of brings that presence of and that leadership in the locker room I, i know that some people in the toronto media have questioned his ability to lead this team to the promised land and we won't name names about who was tweeting what but that's been a topic of conversation is whether the guy wearing the captaincy the the c on the jersey is going to be the guy who's going to be able to push them over the edge and i think that ultimately it's by committee i think that kyle dubas has done a good job of adding subsequent pieces who are going to be able to assist john tavares in that pursuit of keeping everybody accountable and making sure that they're showing up to play every night even on like you said in those dog days of whenever the season's going to be the dog days of april dog days of may where january and Fe- or well yeah not typical season jan feb but i guess now it's like yeah may. well now yeah i'm trying to adjust on the fly i'm not so Sorry, good at this, uh, adjusting the dates thing but yeah it would be the dog days of like may you're, you know on a may there's night, no dog days of may on a may night in arizona where you're playing the coyotes who are at the bottom of the barrel and you just need to grab two points and get out of there or grab uh, three points and get out of there you want to talk about a bleak winter night? It's when the wild are in town. I think I tweeted this on the on the Leafs pod. When the wild are in town and they just spank the Leafs like 6-4. And the Leafs make a little comeback, but it's like, you know, come so close but can't follow it up. Those nights are just the worst. And quite frankly, are, are the reason the Leafs always end up in third in the Atlantic. They miss prime opportunities to capitalize when it counts. I just said a three-point night in May for some reason. I don't know. I think I've still got like this idea that for some, like if you get like a win in regulation, that the NHL should change it to three points rather than just two. If you're going to give the one concession point for the overtime loss, because it sort of makes it as if like now teams and oftentimes in the third period don't play or like won't play for the win. Cause they're just like, all right, if we can just get it to overtime, we're guaranteed a point. It's going to be fine. You know, if you give them more incentive, though, to win in regulation, which cleanly which, which could be three. done. Yeah, just sort of like if you win clean, you get three. If you win in OT, right. you get two. My and pops has been OT, preaching that since one. I was like five. Yeah. Like he, he loves that. Could I be a, it's a, good a idea. potential guest on the pod. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> the yeah, biggest exactly. leap we'll fan there is. We'll bring him in to discuss and he can tell us about uh, who he met at whichever restaurant downtown uh, just <laughs> akin to his son. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, the three-point system, I think that is something to dissect. Obviously, like we can talk about that whenever because there's a large conversation to be had. But that's just where that uh, little slip-up came from was it's uh, always been an idea in the back of my head that I think could raise the level of intensity, particularly on those weird games in the middle of the season where there could be crucial points on the line and there is going to be incentive to win in regulation rather than just winning an OT. Right, like with... 20 games to go or like March crunch time in a, in a typical season. Yeah, exactly. Down the stretch. Kenny, we need to talk about this Dermot contract just under 900 K. Oh, I mean, man. you got eight defensemen will, now under contract a million over the cap now. And three of the eight are locks. Yeah, it's unreal. And I'm so happy that Travis Dermot, they were able to get him signed. I know the cap situation is a little bit uh, precarious at the moment, let's say. 
But I think that the, for, and I don't know, you see all the pundits talking about it and they're saying, oh yeah, there's a log jam of players and you know, who's going to be playing on the defense. You know, for me, like when good organizations or organizations who aren't ready to compete or whatever, they call it, or they call it a log jam, right? For me, or for successful organizations, you call that depth. When you have eight guys who can be competing for a six positions and all of them have a legitimate shot at making it. And obviously, you know, that Riley Brody Muzzin are going to be locks. And then the other three slots are really, I think fairly up for grabs because you don't know how Lettinen is going to come over and translate. His game has obviously looked excellent in the KHL. Right. But the transition is so different. It it is. And you, you never know how it's going to, how they're going to assume to the smaller ice surface. He's obviously a skilled guy who likes having a little bit more space. That's obviously going to be changed if he comes over. And then also the more physicality in the North American game than in the European game. It's just with, tighter quarters the players are generally a little bit bigger in size in the north american game than they are in the european game and there's a little bit less skill and finesse or at least a little bit less space for that so you don't know how he's going to necessarily translate right away justin hall looked great last year at times with jake muzzin when jake muzzin was on the ice there's times they didn't look so good and that goes for travis dermott as well i thought at times he was the maple Leafs best defenseman and he looked really good in the two-way game and then on other nights he just certainly didn't have it then you look at rasmus sandin I mean, this guy is going to be a really very important player for the next 10 years for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm not sure if he's ready to take over at the NHL level on that third pairing at this point in time. I could see any of these players making the roster. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we're months out of the 2021 season, but the pairings are going to change a lot. We've talked about Bogosian, how he can fill the top four. or I didn't be- even bring up Bogosian. A, a bubble player. I mean, there's just almost seems like endless uh, defensemen now to choose from on cheap deals. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure you saw this article that kind of caused a bit of a stir. How I, I forgot who brought it up. I believe it was with, I won't even say the, the company or anything, but it was that, you know, with these mammoth deals, it's going to create a friction in the locker room. And obviously Dermot was a good guy to take, under 900k technically making less than rasmus sandin and because less he, than pierre engelval which is yeah, criminal it's ridiculous but gordon clearly bombay pointing that out on twitter coach gordon bombay a really good follow by the way if uh oh yeah for the leafs commentary yeah he pointed out that uh i think he's making 300k less than engelval and that's totally criminal but he's obviously taking the haircut for the team on the one-year deal to try to have success in the short term yes and it's a bet on yourself here for Dermot. I mean, Dubas is like, look, I'm, I'm hand, I'm handcuffed currently, but you know, he has a breakout year. He's productive and he's looking at a, a three-year contract, possibly in the 2 million, 3 million range AAV. And clearly he, he liked the additions that Dubas and company made. And I don't think he wants to be anywhere else. This is a guy who went to uh, Bill Carruthers, which is uh, in Mississauga, I believe my good buddy, Thomas Brazil knows him quite well. And, you know, I'm sure he's thinking this is a, a huge year for me, a, a huge year for me to prove myself and hopefully lock up something long term. When I look at Travis Dermott as well and what he was willing to do to take it less, it makes you wonder what would have happened if the big stars were willing to do that as well, because they all fought for every single penny 
every single penny. Remember the report that Mitch Marner, there was a deal out there. It was like 11 by eight and he turned it down. Cause he's like, no, he's like, that's not enough money for me. Everybody's like, well, what the hell are you talking about? Like, why, why would that not be enough money for you? Like, why are you turning that down? But it's just like, they're fighting tooth and nail for every single penny. When you look at a player like Travis Dermott, who's taken the haircut and he's getting paid substantially less. It just makes you wonder what could have been if I think it was actually, it was like 10 by eight, right? It wasn't 11 right. by eight, but it makes you wonder what could have, could have been if all these guys were willing just to take like a little bit off the top. Cause you know, John Tavares points out, Oh yeah, I took a discount. They were talking about that on overdrive this week. It's like, he didn't take a discount. He's getting paid $11 million. It was that make him the fifth highest paid player in the league. Didn't he sniff out another mill too from Dubas? Well, I think like he they, could have gotten more if he like signed in San Jose or if he signed uh, in the yeah, Islands. San Jose was offering more. sweet pot. Yeah, same thing with the Islanders. They were offering him more, but then like Toronto was like, yeah, we can do 11. He's sort of like, oh yeah, well, I'll take it. Hometown discount. It's not a discount if other people are willing to overpay for your circumstances and you're still a top five paid player in the league. He's not certainly top five in production. So from that sense, he's overpaid i guess technically when you look at comparable contracts and the production and the age that you're getting out of those players but i don't think it's like that necessarily means that's a bad deal it just means that you're going to have less money to sign depth players and that they're going to be asked particularly in this situation to take a little bit less probably than they deserve and i think to a degree that's a little bit criminal because when you look at a guy who's making say like let's say mitch marner he's making 10.8 million right it won't make a huge difference to him, even if you were to take 2 million off of that, because he'd still be making, you know, 9 million a year. Right. And he's still right. going to get probably a large part of that in signing bonus. And it's going to be, you know, $70 million over the course of the contract or even more than that. It's like $80 million still pretty close to that over the course of the contract, even if it was just 9 million a year. But then when you look at these guys at the bottom end of the deal, it's not as if they're hurting for cash at all. I mean, 800K, 900K a year is still a pretty hefty salary. Six-figure salary. Yeah, yeah, it's a six-figure, like (laughs) almost seven-figure salary. Like nobody's going to be feeling bad for you that you're making that sort of cake. But when you start trimming off, you know, 300K off of that deal, all of a sudden you're taking away, you know, more than a third of like what this guy is capable of earning or like a quarter of what this guy is capable of earning. And that's going to hurt you a lot more when you're at the bottom end and you're asked to sort of trim a little bit off the top, then it would hurt the big guys if they trimmed a little bit off the top just to begin with. This is why this, this upcoming year is so important because I initially I'm thinking, I think that's bogus. That's baloney. I don't think, you know, that that would create a rift in the locker room with, you know, a fixed cap and four guys making a huge sum. But I think, you know, you got to think that a few guys, Kenny, including Dermot has a bit of a snarl. Just a little bit of a snarl, like, wow, I'm taking a I'm taking a huge cut here. But I mean, from from what I see, he seems like he's the most beloved guy, one of the most beloved guys on the team. He's so been he's great just, with the media as well. All the right answers. He has been. Just saying, Absolutely. You know, like the competition in camp is going to be great. So happy to have all these other players here. You know, it's going to be a great season. Everybody's super positive. I'm just like, man, you were saying all the right things right now. It just uh, comes down to putting it into practice. And I think it ultimately comes down to one thing, BMAC. And that's winning. Winning clears right. up everything. If the team is successful and it's all, you know, cupcakes and rainbows and sunshine and they're steamrolling people and the depth players are contributing and the big stars are getting their goals by the bunches and everything's going swimmingly, then you won't see those issues arise in the locker room. If, you know, they start going through a slump, though, 
and they start losing some games. And then all of a sudden the questions start coming out. Hashtag fire Dubis starts going around and everybody's pressuring to shuffle the deck and bring in players and trade guys out. That's where there starts to be that animosity and people start feeling the pressure, regardless of whether they say they don't follow it on social media or they don't follow the pundits or whatever. I feel like that's so difficult just to tune out everything in a market like Toronto. And that's where I could see things start to deteriorate in the locker room if the team is not able to have success on the ice. You know who's good with his words too is Dubas. So I'm sure he, I'm sure he does a good job of, of not only convincing the player, but convincing them of their importance to the team. So, you know, while they'll have to deal with the, the long-term contracts with Matthews, Tavares, and Marner, again, Dermot wants to win and he doesn't want to be anywhere else. It's beneficial that you have players like that because that's ultimately what Toronto needed right now. And I don't know where they'd be if they didn't have these loyal guys who have a lot of love for the organization. They love playing in the city of Toronto and they're willing to take a little bit less. I mean, we saw it from all the free agents that signed really. I mean, you figure like part of it was based off the fact that the market's different and nobody was able to predict what was going to happen. But a large part of it as well is just the players wanting an opportunity to win. And feeling like Toronto has an opportunity to win. Now, I'm still in the camp. You know, Nick was saying that Thornton wants to sign with a Stanley Cup contender. I'm not willing to put the Maple Leafs into that conversation yet. I've been pretty readily on that point. That's they're going to need to show me some dominance in the regular season and get through the first round of the playoffs before I'm ready to start planning the parade. But I do like a lot of the additions they've made. And I think that if they can play to their potential this season and if they can find that next level of internal accountability then the sky is the limit for these guys win around i mean win i don't around. i don't care That's i don't it. care how they dominate the regular season potential slip in slip into the eighth seed I don't care. Like just scratch, scratch, claw, tooth, and nail to get in there. I mean, don't. If slip that's into the case, the maybe not. Maybe not something nice. But I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know I, if you want to my see, point you is, know, is like Tampa Bay, 16, 16, round. 17. We were saying, holy smokes, like, wow, like no one expected this. Like expectations exceeded. Like whatever. And now it's like, okay, like I, I really don't care of of, of anything you do in the regular season. Just book your playoff spot and make sure you make it a a heated round and and finally break out of that slump and get past the first round because that's how they're going to like make leap nation in particular believe this team can do it. And with all these free agent signings on one year deals, this is, this is Dubas's year to really make a name for himself and this team. Let's close this out on a high note and discuss who's at Hyman? the library bar. All right, Library Bar, our favorite segment on Not Another Leafs podcast. BMAC, I'll go first because I'm uh, kind of just tossing this out there to you so you can uh, give it a second to think it over. I'm going with the head coach of the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick. Now, I don't know uh, what his cocktail of choice would be, but he's going to need a stiff drink on the once he gets back to Foxborough at the equivalent of the Library Bar, probably a stiff drink on the plane with all the team has been dealing with this year, the COVID issues, obviously the Buffalo bills are running away with the AFC East at this point. It looks like at least at this point, we can lock it in that they're going to be dropping to, was it three and four? Is that where they're, are they're going to be a two and four Yikes. likely by the end of this game today, they're down 
by a bunch in the fourth quarter to the San Francisco 49ers. This has been a train wreck for the Patriots this season. And I think that with the departure of Tom Brady, everybody knew there was going to be some growing pains there. But my goodness, nobody was expecting them to drop off this much, especially with Cam Newton coming in to take over the helm. It's just been a disastrous run for New England this year. And Belichick's going to need a stiff cocktail if he's going to figure this out down the stretch here. I wonder what Bill drinks. I feel like he just has like Canadian or just some, some basic beer. I don't Remember know if that he even gets into where that he was stuff. drinking the orange juice. <laughs> no, just, like, he's just, he's just a goat. Just yeah, he's just taking the sip of the orange juice just so casually. I, I heard like him mic'd up. Toss though. a couple shots of vodka in there, and uh, he'll be good to go. I heard him mic'd up with Newton on the sidelines, and he's just so dull. Like I know, like we've covered a lot of his post in school and at TSN, but like he's just—it could be like a minute left on the clock. Pat's down 10. He's like, Cam, we're doing this route. Like, he's just. Yeah, yeah he's, he's very that a touchdown? dry. There's a flag on that, right? The oh, only, okay. t- the only time you. I ever saw him with some emotion was uh, there was that documentary they did with Bill Parcells. I think it was called like the two bills or whatever. And it was uh, about his career coming up under Parcells and the drama sort of with, you know, when he was under him with the New York Giants and then the drama that ensued when he was with the Jets and then sort of got traded to the Patriots. And it was sort of like the two guys got together for the first time in a very long time. And we're sort of chatting it out a really, really excellent documentary that I would recommend to any sports fans. Even if you're not a football fan, you can have appreciation for the greatness of those two coaches and what they meant to the game of football. He was a little looser in that video. And even with some of the work that he's done for the NFL network and stuff like that, He's a little bit looser for that as well when they were talking about the NFL top 100 and stuff like that. So it's good to see him when he takes off the serious cap and puts on just the I'm chillaxing, you know, got rings for two hands, like just like kick back and relax cap. But up until that point, like we're when he's when he's in the post game presser or whatever, you can't get anything out of him. I think for me, I know I said earlier, Paul, that Josh Anderson would definitely be at the library bar or some equivalent in Montreal after signing that seven-year deal with the Habs. Great ad for the Habs. I, I'm going to put Gallagher right there with him. I think, uh, yeah, it was know, a nice signing. It was a great signing. And, you know, that kind of lingered on for a little bit because we heard of, you know, how emotional Bergevin got in the interview. I mean, you don't, you don't usually see a GM uh, get that emotional when, when signing a player. I haven't never seen that. I don't know about you, but, you know, especially when, when it's the discussion surrounding a contract and a big contract and Gallagher, you know, we've talked about this before. He's, he's been, he's the heartbeat of that team since he's joined for eight years and he's earned every penny in that contract and, you know, enjoy whatever he enjoys beer, but he's at the library, but I think he spends his summers in BC where he's, where he's from might be Vancouver, like Riley, but I'm sure he's enjoying himself, but that's my guy for the library bar. Yeah, a really important signing for the Habs. I'm glad that they were able to get it done. Um, As a Maple Leafs fan, you obviously hate this player, but I have so much respect for him as an individual and what he's meant to the organization. He's the kind of guy that if he plays for your team, you absolutely love him. And if you play against him, you absolutely despise him. So a great signing by Bergevin to get that one done. And they can take the stress off talking about that all season long about how he didn't have the contract all set up and he can kick back and relax now because he's going to be comfortable for quite a long time. BMAC, what do you got going on this week? 
Well, World Series, baby. Game five oh, goes man. tonight. Crazy, I don't know if you caught the crazy ending. Did you catch game four? I caught the end that of game nice. four. I actually, I actually got home when they were interviewing the i forget who got the hit phillips like late yeah it was they were phillips yeah they were doing the post game hit i was like oh i must have just missed the end and then they kept firing up the replays and i was like oh my goodness the dodgers quite literally threw the game away no pun intended i don't know what their deal with is with two outs like they just can't they can't clean it up and then the the game before this rookie standout randy arozarina went yard on on two out, two strikes, just to blow the game wide open, 6-2 in the ninth. I mean, I have – I said this to my pops the other day. I, this this series is going seven, man, and I got Tampa winning it. Dodgers have been in the last couple years, but They just Tampa's need to, time to shine. close it out. Like, you have to be able to close you it out. You have the lightning and then the when Rays. You're, when you're up back to back chips. If you go up 3-1, it's over. If you go up 3-1 and you got who, – who would it have been? It's Kershaw going tonight, and then you got Bueller next. There's no way the Rays are crawling their way back into that series. But now at 2-2, you feel like they can get a win off one of those guys, and then you're heading to Game 7, and anything can happen in that situation in sports. We've seen it so many times before, so a really big missed opportunity for L.A. I'll be looking forward to watching the contest tonight to see what happens. Me too, buddy. First pitch flies in an hour, I believe, yes. An hour's time. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of Not Another Leafs Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at Ken Stapon, at McCarthy 95 at LeafsPod, at HockeyPodNet. We'll catch you next time.